the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. An important 15-year anniversary today. And then, why do most Christians neglect reading their Bible? Why aren't we talking about coercion in the abortion debate? And later, why are eschatology matters? You're listening to The Common Good. Hey everybody, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today, hump day, Wednesday afternoon. And uh, That'll you- never not be funny, to me, anyway. I'm sure other people are really over it, but I I think because I'm new to the commercial, because you told me about it, it's still fresh in my memory. Our it's like show, this really funny thing. Someday our show will be long and gone. You and I will be <laughs> living somewhere else separately, whatever. Florida, Florida. And, uh, and every Wednesday you're going to giggle, and your husband's going to be like, why are you laughing? It's just Wednesday. And you're like, ah. Or like, that'll be the only thing people remember about the show, is me just going, home day. <laughs> That's all. Wasn't there deep, meaningful conversation? I, I, I don't, don't know, know, but Aubrey said home day and it was funny. <laughs> so you were telling me off air, you went and saw the new Elvis movie yes, last night. Kevin and I saw the Not depra- exactly two thumbs up. No, well, it wasn't a romantic movie. It wasn't a date night movie. I mean, you know, Elvis and his music are fantastic, but it was, you know, his life is really sad. <laughs> yes. And so it would just ended up, you kind of left like, oh, that's a cautionary tale about fame. Kevin left and he goes, there's no glory in fame. Like that was literally my husband's line. It was, uh, yeah, kind of brutal. And also, honestly, not that good of a movie. I think yeah. it got fairly good reviews, but it, I don't know. Tom Hanks's character was like so hateful that you couldn't even enjoy him. And it's Tom Hanks. Everybody loves Tom Hanks. It feels like a turn for him. Like yeah. He decided, I'm going to be the villain. Well, yeah. at least he got to go out. We got to go out. We went out to dinner. We actually had fun, and we learned a lot about Elvis and Priscilla, which they didn't focus enough on her age in the movie, because that would have made Elvis look pretty bad. <laughs> Let's just say Priscilla's still young. <laughs> She's still young. That's right. <laughs> uh, all right. You do not know what this is. I, t- I asked you if you knew, and you said no. Yeah. Today is an important 15-year anniversary. Oh, I'm really trying to figure this out. So something monumental for just about everybody. That is my hint. Oh. Just about everybody in our society. In America? Yes. Okay. And more or less the world. Oh, okay. Happened, at least, you know, maybe not the third world, but okay. at least the world. Uh, happened June 29th, 15 years ago today, 2007. Give me, uh, that is all the hints okay. I'm giving you. Do you have any guess? Uh, new Kids on the Block got back together. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because that would be monumental to the entire globe. Um, let's see. Uh, the Real Housewives of Beverly you Hills are, you debuted be so, on. So, <laughs> I'm so far. far off. So uh, far The off. discovery of the something. The discovery of. The pyramids. Oh my gosh. We should just keep doing this and people will keep, they'll be like, just yell hump day. (laughs) 15 years ago today, Steve Jobs introduced the first iPhone. Whoa! 
that is monumental. Today is the birthday wow. of the iPhone. Do you remember wow. life? That doesn't mean we all got. The, obviously, wow. we didn't get them 15 years ago today, right? Nobody. Ryan. It was the. Remember, Steve Jobs got up and he did those big presentations. Yes, this is where he introduced the iPhone. It was the birth of the iPhone. Wow. Do you remember life pre-iPhone? What do you remember yes, about life pre-iPhone? I do. Pre-iPhone? You want to know? You want to know a really funny story? Yes. So, um, I I'll come back to what I remember about life pre-iPhone. But I I got an iPhone, an early one. And then I had an internal soul conviction because I was spending so much time on my iPhone downloading these things called apps (laughs) that I went, I can't have an iPhone. And I literally turned it back in and I got just like a regular digital phone. And it was a couple years later that I was like, oh, I should just get an iPhone. iPhone. Everybody has iPhones now. But it was like this thing in me where I recognized so early on that it was consu- and I had new babies at the time, and it like cons- it was consuming me. That I didn't obviously keep with that conviction nope. forever, but uh, that's what I remember. But so before the iPhone, Kevin and I were actually laughing about this: how you would download ringtones of like your favorite songs. So let's say it'd be like, <laughs> I mean, you know, what's a, what's a hey shorty, it's your birthday, nope, but nope. it'd be like. Like the like pixelated digital version of your ringtone and pay like ninety nine cents for it. So my wife may have told me the other day on vacation, uh, this might have been her exact line, and it it was not said at all in jest. (sighs) I think you might have a phone addiction. (laughs) Really? Yes, she did. I went. I think you might have a phone addiction. Uh, and so that is uh, one thing I was explaining to my children the other day, uh, the concept of printing out directions through MapQuest. Yes. Oh, yeah. Remember you go on your computer? I do. And this was like huge. Like this was a big deal. This was a technological advance. And you'd print out the uh, the directions. And I'd always have them on like my pe- my passenger seat. And you're right. All right. And you never knew if it said 3.4 miles, if that was like the one above or the one below. <laughs> right, right. So happy birthday to the iPhone. You know what Celebrate. else I remember just thinking about, like, even MapQuest? Like, thinking about before MapQuest. Like, Kevin all and the time. I had road trips where we, we would buy atlases yes, and yes. literally, like, pull the atlas out of the glove compartment or it was so big it would be on the side of the door yeah. and, like, open your map and figure out where you were going. Yeah. No, it, we, we were just talking about it's that like on the vacation. like the Stone Ages. Because we were in South Carolina. And we weren't. We were off the highway to get to this baseball field, and turn yeah. here, turn here, turn here. I was like, "How did anybody do this before the little lady in their phone told them where to turn?" Uh, <laughs> it's just crazy. The so, lady told them. Uh, yeah, have a piece of cake today. It's your iPhone's birthday. Yeah. We all know that you have your iPhone. Most of you love your iPhone more than you love your own children. So be sure <laughs> to celebrate your iPhone. Wow, fifteenth birthday, Aubrey. Let's make a big turn in the news today. Uh, that was something yesterday in the January 6th hearings. That was something. People were talking. Yeah. What do you do, Cassidy Hutchinson? Yeah. Uh, former aide, a senior aide to Mark Meadows. Uh, there's some of the stuff she said is being disputed. I'm still not sure. This is what the amazing part of this is. I'm still not sure that this changes many people's minds, although you and I did talk the other day yeah. that there are some Republican candidates and kind of fake polls who are or early polls, I should say, who uh-huh. are beginning to pass former President Trump. So right. maybe this is having an hopefully, effect. Hopefully, hopefully at least that. But that was some explosive testimony yesterday about yes. what President Trump knew, yes. what he didn't do, yes. um, how close we were yes. to 
uh, January 6th being even much worse than it actually was. Like, mm-hmm. I don't feel like I get surprised by very much anymore. Even as I, I didn't watch it, I was reading it, people like reporting on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Even as I was reading it during the day, I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, if in fact her, if in fact her testimony is true, which I believe that it is, but... Um, you know, him saying, let my people in, they can march to the Capitol from here, let the people in, take the bleep mags away, mags referring to the individuals who keep, you know, uh, protect the president away from armed individuals. Um, yeah, it, it certainly is indicting that he was aware of a lot and inciting it. I, I'm i still skeptical that any change happens. It, I think it'll be interesting as to what happens I think the only – no one's – I don't think they're going to prosecute. No. Although David French wrote an article today. He said, I don't know if Trump will face criminal indictment, but after Cassidy Hutchinson's courageous testimony, the case for prosecuting President Trump is stronger than it's ever been. So I know many of you disagree with that, yeah. but that's where our friend David French landed. I think the interesting thing that comes out of this is, A, uh, what does happen if he tries to run again? Like, how does this affect him? Does yeah. Is he really Teflon in such a way that even this doesn't stick to him? Oh. Or has it just been too much now? It also says something about what we focus on. Like, it was all of this. I don't know if this happened on your Twitter feed, but it was, man, he said he knew people had got, like, it was like explosive yeah. stuff. And by the end, all I was reading about was that he threw a burger against a wall and there was ketchup going down the wall. <laughs> oh, and no, you're I like, missed that. I missed how, that. How, do, how is that where we end <laughs> up? But I did. I did leave there going. I told you I'm not really watching this. Yeah. I don't know that it changes anybody's mind. Right. I mean, if what was talked about yesterday doesn't move the needle at all, then I'm not sure anything does. So. Uh, we shall see, right? That's what we say. I think you and I have grown full skeptic. Absolutely at this point. skeptical that that, that there's Anything. any yeah any prosecution against Donald Trump stands. Or anybody, but it's I would just... like to see, like you said, I would at least like to see this mean the the um, GOP decides he's not the candidate, I, right? I would tend and that's to, my hope. I would tend to agree with you on yeah. that one, but I think you and I have become skeptical that <laughs> anybody gets in trouble for anything it's anymore. True. Ever in uh, in our political oh, world right now. So, so we'll see what's next, because now with her testimony, there seems to be some thoughts that it will uh, serve other people well to get in front of the committee. So we'll see if this is the extent of it. If there's more to come, uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot of spin going on, depending on where you land on the aisle. Yeah. But that was that was big news yesterday. Not bigger than the 15 year birthday. Definitely not. That's so fun. There you go. Of the iPhone and to celebrate it, Aubrey's on her iPhone. So. That's right. I'm, I'm not. I'm ignoring Brian and looking at apps. Uh, Something you and I touched on yesterday is this. The reaction of it I have found fascinating. In some ways, the far left, if you will, and the far right look so much alike. And I think Mm. we would think that they are so opposite, Mm. right? Like there's nothing like – they're not like each other in any way. When in in reality, it's kind of like a horseshoe where the end of the horseshoes Mm. are actually super close to each other. right. Sky Jatani kind of touched on that uh, with a tweet the other day. Let me read it and let you respond to this. Sky said this. Wherever you stand on overturning Roe, saying the court is, quote, illegitimate is no different than Trump saying the election was, quote, rigged. Our response hmm. to every loss cannot be to burn the whole system down. Hmm. Both parties are playing with fire, but it's we the people who will get burned. Wow. So his concept is like, listen, 
we've spent months on the people on the left raging about Trump saying this is illegitimate yeah. and this is rigged. And now when the court goes away, you don't want to. All we hear is the court is rigged. We must change it. We must get rid of these people. Mm. We must do this. I find that a fascinating concept that the left and the right, not they don't believe the same things. No, definitely not. But when they don't get their way, they react. The reaction the same way. is the same. Yeah, this is so fascinating to me. And you kind of touched on this. I don't think we were talking on air. We were talking off air about, okay, yeah, now the now the left is acting like the right on January 6th or whatever. Bit. Like, I mean, th- those are extreme examples, but just... That there is this commonality when it comes to like outrage, like having tantrums yes. or something like yes. that. And yet, I think one side would quickly call out the other side for that type of behavior without recognizing it in themselves. Well, that feels really biblical, right? I was like, literally thinking that as I said it. Don't, you know, the, 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 the log in your own yeah. eye, the speck in yeah. another person's eye. I guess I would put it yeah. this way. And then I think we as Christians need to wrestle with this. Neither the left nor the right uh, has cornered the market in anger. Mm. And I, I like your word, tantrums. Uh, I think rightfully so, people on the far left were like pointing fingers at Trump and his followers for the rigged election and yeah. the, the, the hoax yeah. and all this stuff. But now you sit back and they didn't get their way over Roe versus Wade or whatever else. Yeah. And all I read on Twitter right now from people in the media and everything else is uh, we got to burn it down. We we had uh, the quote from Mayor Lightfoot yesterday where she's like, you know, F Clarence Thomas. Right. We've and got, then I said what I said. Yeah. We've got mm-hmm. all of this stuff is to like it's not. All right, we we our side lost or this that it's we have to burn down the institutions of this that. So if we if we have fire and vitriol on both sides, yeah. if we can agree that the horseshoe model is kind of yeah. the same, yeah. You and I like to kind of I think hold ourselves up as somewhat <laughs> centric, moderate. <laughs> I would uh, hope so. We like to hold ourselves up as somewhat. Um, Moderate behavior, right? <laughs> how do how are we as Christians to live in the culture that we are surrounded by? Well, it's so interesting to me because my husband and I will even debate this because he feels like there are institutions that are so corrupt and wicked that the only option is burn them to the ground. But he's not necessarily like saying that publicly or inciting a mob. That's like a private conversation between the two of us. You know what I mean? So. I don't know, like, I think it's okay to have that sense of, like, justice and anger, but it's the, it's the way, I guess, it gets expressed publicly. Like, and I'm not saying be fake, be inauthentic, but are you a person who wants to, like, long-term incite a mob and, you know, get, like, torches with flames and go, or are you the kind of person that actually wants to make, like, a meaningful difference when it comes to restoration and renewal and... And so I feel like it has to be, you have to have a posture that's more long-term than your current emotions. Mm. And again, that doesn't mean you don't stand for what you believe is right, but this still goes back to like, God, would you help us just be people of dignity and civility in the middle of our disagreement? And I, I don't know. It's, it's, this is a kind of a bad example, Brian, but like lately I feel like as a, as I'm getting older, I'm lamenting the loss of 
customer service. Like, I feel like customer service people are just getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Unless they're being very intentional not to do that, in which case you're like, oh, how shocking. They're like a kind. And I feel like that's what we're missing. Like, we're sort of just missing a general kindness. And I know this is a whole other conversation about, well, maybe it's not time to be winsome and kind anymore. But I just don't think that ever goes out of style. It's just amazing to me. You, you mentioned before that there are corrupt things and there are this and that. I think one of the things that we uh, that becomes very clear when major things happen, whether it be the election or whether it be Roe versus Wade or whatever, we always think the corrupt institutions are the ones that disagree with what we think. <laughs> we right, always think, right. and, and I, I think that's what Sky's getting at. That's if we so just true. yell corruption that's so true. and brokenness every time we disagree with what. Uh, an election happens or the Supreme Court does or Congress does. Like that's a big charge to say corrupt and burn it down. It's a really big charge. Versus, oh, I don't agree with what they've done. But I I think Sky is right here. I think it's the horseshoe model in which the we think of it as a spectrum. And in reality, the far left and the far right act the same way. And we as Christians need to decide uh, how are we going to act within the midst of this. As you know, Aubrey and I are both pastors. But also, just as Christ followers, Aubrey, we want to hold up the value of the Bible. That's we right. Want to say, uh, ultimately, God has revealed Himself. We know in His Word, and so then we, as Christians, should be digesting yeah. His Word. We should be wrestling with it. We should be building our lives upon it. But yet, we know, and I almost said we know in other people's lives. We know in our own lives. In our own lives, the Bible is a really easy thing to ignore. Totally. So, There's something to. I don't. I don't want to interrupt you, but I also feel like, especially in the summer. There's like, truth. I am off my Bible routine. And yeah. part of it is I would get up before my kids. I'd read my Bible. I'd do my journal. Then I'd wake them up. Now that we don't really have that, I am off. I'm just going to be honest and authentic. I am off my Bible reading routine right now. Which is interesting because it seems like your kids probably get up later than they did in the in the school year. And... <laughs> right, right. But it's because I don't need to get up now. So oh, therefore, yes. I'm out of sync. You know. So let me ask you this. before I want to read a quote from John Piper. And because I'm a sinner. Us. Yeah, because you're a bad person. Yeah. Why, what would be your top couple of reasons as to if, if I think most Christians out there, if I ask them, what do you believe the Bible is? They would say the inspired word of God. Mm -hmm. There's some debate about what exactly that means, but they're going to say uh, it's the word of God. Very few Christians are going to be like, that's just a book. Right. right? It doesn't matter. Right. So I think everybody would agree that reading your Bible is an important thing to do. Mm hmm. But yet I, I also bet the majority of people would say I struggle to do it. Totally. What would you uh, why what would you surmise are are some of the top reasons as for that disconnect? Why people struggle? Why maybe yeah. you or I struggle yeah. or people we know struggle? So I'll say some practical things and then I'll say some spiritual things. I think I think practically we struggle because it is I mean it's a book written completely outside of our western context in 2022. Like I mean it is ancient yeah. It is uh, from a totally, actually several totally different cultures. And anytime you try to read a text like that, whether it's old literature or some other like religious text, that's hard work. Yes. Like it is not like, now I'm so grateful to like NIV, NLT message, these other translations that have tried to like bring the Bible to make it more accessible and uh, to our mindset here in, you know, America 2022, it does make the Bible a lot more readable. But like, I think we have to acknowledge like it, it's a major, major bridge 
uh, that you have to cross from here to there. This ancient yes. world of scripture written in a totally different language, totally different culture. Half the time we don't understand what we're reading or why things were said, what they were said. Okay. So I think that's part of it. The other part, and this is where I want to get spiritual, is I do think like the our spiritual enemy that I believe is real and prowling and trying to keep us distracted yep. and off the path of following Jesus wants nothing more than to convince us that God's word is either not important or actually not uh, helpful for our spiritual growth um, and wants to convince us that it's confusing, yes. uh, inaccessible, et cetera, because the enemy does not want us in God's That's word. Right. And so and then, of course, there's just like life is distracting. So I think you got at it also before uh, when you said, I'm out of my routine. Like, I, I think we would like to say that we read the Bible, you know, because we know it's important. Because yeah. Part of it's just routine. It is. It's a, it's a practice. It's like exercise. Yeah. It's yes. like eating well. Yes. It's like oh, you and Kevin went on a regular date last mm-hmm. night, right? Like that takes yes. thought process this. And yes. That. Intentionality and planning. Yeah. yeah. There's no part of me that doubts that the Bible and, and reading it is an important thing in my mm-hmm. life. And there are many days where I don't open it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And part of it also is what, you know. I would have to think if you were facing great persecution in your faith, the Bible would be like your lifeline. So that's true. And every once in a while I get this little like, I, I think it's sort of the old school uh, uh, fundamentalist that's in me that will be like, what if your Bible gets taken away, girl? You're going to be very <laughs> upset. You don't have more scripture memorized. You don't have more, you know, but I, I think there's some truth to that. If you don't actually in persecuted places have access yeah, to God's yeah. word, you realize what a meal, what a refreshing thing God's word is, what a privilege it is. So you just launched a new segment. It's going to be called <laughs> Old School Fundamentalist with <laughs> Aubrey Sampson. We're going to do all thing with little, it. Do you remember we did an article like, you might have not been there, might have been a guest co-host, but it was the little Puritan that lives in my head. I was there Yeah, that, okay, yes. okay. I, that Puritan is there inside of me. <laughs> we are going to do all we can to bring that out on a regular basis. Well, here's what John Piper said. Matt Smithhurst. Uh, he is at the Gospel Coalition. Uh, he quoted. He put up a quote on Twitter from John Piper. So here's what Piper said about Bible reading. And we touched on this already, but uh, want to expand it a little bit more. Matt Smether said, Most Christians neglect their Bibles not out of conscious disloyalty to Jesus, but out of a failure mm. to plan a time and place and method to read it. Wow. There's some things that... Uh, I find comforting about that quote and other things that mm-hmm. I find frustrating. First of all, I think he's right that most Christians do neglect their Bible, but yep. they're not like, I'm rejecting it. Right. You're not like, I'm not going to read that because I'm rebellious. But isn't yeah. it also a little bit frustrating that that they're probably probably agree with the fact that it's just something as simple as you don't plan well? Here's your plan. That's all you need. It's the same thing. I mentioned it before. It's the same thing with exercise. Like I deal yeah. with some lower back pain yeah. that I know would go away. Yeah. It, you just sat up straight. I did. You made off. me fix my posture. Uh, that I know would at least be eased a lot if I stretched and, right. and strengthened. Right. I you just, just don't do it. It's not a priority. Not, it is a priority. It's not part of my rhythm. Yeah. I get up. I watch you know a Today what? Show. Kevin I and I, a... last week, were talking about, he's reading this book called Tiny Habits, and Ooh. he's trying to relate to the spiritual life and even to exercise. This book, Tiny Habits, is it, it kind of breaking down things like this, saying, look, don't... Um, 
you don't need to, the goal is not, I'm going to floss my teeth every single night. The goal is, I'm going to floss one tooth and then celebrate. <laughs> and then I'm going to floss awesome. the next tooth and then celebrate. And he talks about how the only way we actually get into these rhythms of Bible reading, of exercise, etc., is when we do like a teeny, teeny, tiny bit at a time, but then celebrate it. Celebrate it. Because he says it's the celebration that solidifies the pattern. And so yeah. I wonder if there's something like that, like... If you're reading scripture and you really do, it is a meaningful experience with God that feels rewarding and therefore you want to do it again, but, um, but you have to be in the habit. Yeah. And so that's, you know, that's part of it. You have to be in the habit. So of let's help people yeah. have tiny habits. Let's help people yeah. start to grow in this. The person listening right now going, uh, mm-hmm. you got me again. I don't ever read my Bible. Yeah. I don't ever do that. Uh, besides telling them we understand, mm-hmm. how can they how can they shift to that? How can they make a turn to um, to, to having a more uh, vibrant relationship, if you will, with God's word? Yeah, I mean, I I guess some of it does go back to you know, there like the Bible app. I think is a great place. Like, pick a plan and start it yeah. today, yeah. and it's like ten or fifteen minutes. Pick a time and pick a chair in your house, and like that's where you go for your Bible reading. I think you make it really easy to like have your Bible right there already. You know mm. what I mean? Like don't even make yourself have to go somewhere to get your Bible. Like your Bible's there by your chair. You do it. And then um and then the hard part is there are so many like amazing reading plans like uh, on the Bible app, but that still doesn't necessarily help us. So whether it's the Bible app or a devotion that you buy online or something to help guide you, I think don't be afraid of that either. Or you could start with like the Psalms. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read the Psalms this summer yeah. and just like get up in the morning or before you go to bed. The other thing is, I think you can do this as a family, like do mm-hmm. it around your dinner table. Do you know, it doesn't only have to be this individual time in the morning that's set aside. It can be while you're going to work, you're listening to the Bible app. Like there are ways to, ingrain it in your daily routine and then give yourself grace. Okay. For the days you messed up or for right now, like the summer season. But then also I think don't give yourself so much grace. You never go back to it. This is terrible advice. I feel like Brian, what do you think? I I think you're right on. I like the thing that you mentioned from the book, your husband's reading that to celebrate. Yeah. Right. Like, Hey, I did it today. Yeah. I I often tell couples when I'm doing premarital counseling with them, they'll be like, uh, we're going to pray together every day. And I'm like, do you pray together now? <laughs> uh, no, we've never done it. I said, well, then maybe set the goal at once a week. Yeah, yeah. And start and start and, and just, just see how it give goes. give each other grace. Uh-huh. I think, uh, but, but I do think all of us out there need to go, what do I actually believe the Bible is? Mm. Do I believe it is the word of God? Mm. Do I believe there is value to it? And is it just apathy mm. and and lack of routine that's getting me? Yeah. And yeah. if it is, then I think those can be dealt with. The summertime could be a great time to deal with them. Okay, Brian, you know, of course, this week of all weeks, we've been talking a lot about the overturning of Roe v. Wade and how Christians and non-Christians alike have been responding. Lots of... Um, I'm just... I'm finding interesting how many pop culture folks are just raging against this publicly. And you see that in a lot of ways, I'm like, wow, pop culture and me are totally misaligned in this. Like we just cannot, we don't see eye to eye. And I wonder too, if anyone in pop culture who kind of is actually for like a pro-life stance, 
are they being quiet for fear of the backlash against them? I think that's probably, uh, you know, so you're likely. hearing the you're hearing the loud, angry voices, but you're not hearing the supportive voices, which is kind of interesting. But at the end of the day, there have been a lot of reactions, Christians and non-Christians alike, just public reactions to this that have been a little bit surprising. And I'll, I'll tell you one. Beth Felker-Jones, she was a prof of mine at uh, Wheaton. She's over at Northern now, um, New Testament scholar. She posted something that she actually deleted, but what she uh, she had a study that talked about a large number. And by large, I mean it was over 50%. Like, I mean, I think it was 70% or more of women who have had abortions reported that they felt coerced to do so by either their partner, their parent, a pastor, um, somebody. Someone coerced them to do it. And she says, I'm not sure why we're not talking about coercion as part of a problem related to abortion. But then, interestingly, I went to pull it up this afternoon for the show to talk about. And she said so many people pointed out problems with the study. She took it down. Mm. So but then she said she still continues to urge folks on both sides to consider coercion as a real problem as related to abortion. So I think one one, there's the topic of coercion. Mm -hmm. And how devastating and painful that is and how I think that's very real and has been ignored. But two, the fact that this New Testament scholar, Beth Felker Jones, felt like she needed to take that study down because of the amount of reactions. That, to me, is like the surprising story. Yeah, there's so many surprising things to how people are reacting. And there's some common threads right now. So let me name a couple. Okay. Uh, And then I think that topic of coercion is really interesting and plays into one of these. One, I've been surprised. Maybe I shouldn't be. I'm going to come across as naive here. But I've been surprised by how many very high-profile people, so for instance, Hillary Clinton yesterday, Mm -hmm. who should know better, saying over and over again, there are going to be dead women everywhere now. There are going to be women dying because of this. And I'm like, no, there's no, not. No, there's not. That's not what happened right. here the other day. Right. But that has become the mantra, right? Yeah. The same as like you would think like 90% of the abortions were people in rape and incest. Right. That's also not the case. Right. But but the the mantra, especially on very pro-abortion people, and Hillary Clinton did in an interview last night, literally said there are going to be women dying now that weren't dying before. And you're like. It's such a straw man argument because that's not the medical world that we live in in 2022. I would have said she was right back in the 1500s, but then women would have died of abortions, too. (laughs) Like women are not dying from childbirth anymore. And in the very rare cases that they are, I'm not saying it's never happened. Right. That's a conversation to have. Right. But that is so rare and so few and far between that this is not accurate. And again, the states are still making their own decisions. This is just a fear tactic that has become uh, that is riling people up and gets you like the mayor of Chicago yelling from a stage. Uh, So that's one that has surprised me. Two is when people are like, oh, yeah, if you really believe this, you tell the men that they have some culpability in this. Yeah. Uh, Yes. Let me raise my hand and sign up. Right. Done and done. I think. Uh, If you impregnate a woman, then you have to take some responsibility from the beginning, financial and other. Your responsibility doesn't begin when the baby's born the same way we're saying that life doesn't begin when the baby's born. Done and done. So that's two. The third one, this one really shouldn't surprise me. But I find it admirable that people are like, I'll adopt your baby. Right. It has become an Internet meme. People are making fun of those people, aren't they? And like now 
you're seeing things where people take pictures of two random people and be like, I'll adopt your baby. And like, it's become an internet mm. meme. And you're like, man, we really are just, there. there's a large segment of our mm. population who's just pro-abortion. Mm. They're not like, well, if we could find a way to save these babies. and yeah. No, no, they're just simply pro-abortion. Yeah. They want that to be the, the norm. The, and one of the ways you know that is they're making fun of people who are going, I'll, I'll help. Your, so I understand that part of the reasoning for that is that there are so many kids right now in the foster care system that haven't been adopt, adopted. Right. But we should be celebrating that people are going all. And so there's so many reactions that I shouldn't be surprised by. But I also think, Aubrey, to go back to your your uh, conversation about coercion, we have to understand the complexity of the issue here is not just singularly a um, you know, a a a mom, a woman yeah. saying, "I want to end this." Abo-. Oftentimes, right. there's pressure from the parents. Yeah. Oftentimes, there's pressure from the boyfriend yeah. slash husband. Yeah, there's pressure from a boss or whatever else yeah. it might be. And we have to understand those dynamics and try to work. We can't just be like, "All right, women, you need to have the right. babies now." Right? No, we've got to we've got to lift up the responsibility on the men, and yes. we have to understand the dynamics that are at play that often result. Uh, in an abortion. I think, too, like we're willing to admit that there are power dynamics at play in other situations, decision making. And so I don't know why we wouldn't be willing to say, like, there are power dynamics at play when it comes to abortion as well. And of course, I mean, again, I told you, Brian, I've sat with women who have such deep abortion regret. And a lot of it is they felt pressure to make that decision from their community yes. or or it was a fear of what might happen. And in one sense, that fear is a coercive force as well. And so, uh, it, you know, it's worth having the conversation yes. about and admitting that that's true. Can I can I share some kind of nice news with you? Yes. This is some good news. So Chadwick Boseman, you know, who who died yes. suddenly, uh, Black Panther, most known for his uh, role in Black Panther, Died suddenly, shockingly. Was it last year? Might have been two, two years, years ago. Two years ago from, from cancer. No one really knew who was sick. Uh, apparently, he died without a will. Mm. And his wife asked the court to split his fortune evenly with his parents. Mm. Isn't that nice? She could have kept all the money for herself. But instead, she said, let's split it with his family. I thought that was a good I, yeah, yeah. Good little story, little pro-life uh, story in the middle of all of the insanity right now. Brian, you told me you have a crazy story to share. I want to hear it. Okay, this is this story just blew my mind. It makes you think about like in a, in in millennium in 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 just hundreds of years, thousands of years when they dig up where you know America. Yeah, yeah. Like an excavation like they right, do in Israel. Right. What are they going to find? Uh at a mall in Wilmington, Delaware the other day. Okay. Uh, or not the other day, in April, they took down a wall. Okay. So lots of rhyming here. They took down a wall in At the a mall. mall. So there was just a wall. They were doing construction. They took down a wall in the Concord Mall in Wilmington, Delaware. And behind that wall. What? And you got to see this picture. They found a fully intact vintage Burger King. Just... <laughs> That hadn't been touched. Stop it. Here, let me just show okay, you Okay, Brian picture. is in studio react. now showing, turning his camera. <gasps> no way. I mean, I mean there the are seats. There There's are the no fake dirt. plants are there. The fan is there. What if there was a person behind the counter? No, that would be oh, freaky. Oh, thank you for joining us today. No way. Full, if you grew up in the 80s or this, <gasps> and you saw this picture, you would be like, that's Burger King. That's Burger King. So I mean, just, wow. Just imagine you knock down this wall. And you walk through it thinking you might find a yeah. storage closet. You went, 
fully intact, pristine, clean Burger King that they had just walked Okay, that's weird. That's kind of wild. You also called it a vintage Burger King, but it was like from the 80s, right? Sure. I mean, is that vintage now? Wow, I feel so old. Yeah, we're old that way. That is wild. There you go. Yep. Okay, wow. That's a crazy story. I I was expecting you to say remains of a dinosaur. Or like you did not expect you to say Burger King. Burger King. Hidden behind a wall. That is fascinating. All right. Well, I wonder if they'll reuse it as they're doing things to the small or what will happen there. They should do something. I feel like they should. The vintage Yeah, it becomes like a little monument. But Burger King didn't care enough to keep it open. But yeah, apparently However not. Many years so, ago, right. So. They were ready to sell it. Okay. Well, speaking of things that age. Oh, uh, segue. Yeah, good segue. Uh, Elisa Morgan, she's a, she's a writer, speaker, woman that I sometimes follow. I've written for her before. She is talking about as she's getting older, um, she is beginning to realize that her time is coming to shift from being the sort of like main speaker, writer, et cetera, to raising up younger leaders. Mm. She says this, I'm here at this stage of life to bless the next generation. Then she talks about how this is starting to freak her out. She's on the verge of retirement. So she says this is starting to freak her out because she doesn't know, like, will she just cease to exist? Mm-hmm. Like, will her life have any meaning? But then she's realizing, like, if she truly is going to live the fullest life God designed for her, it is to bless the next generation. And she talks about blessing them as speaking well of them, but also kind of raising them up and giving them platform. And like for her, she's going to start inviting younger voices to the microphone, resigning her position so another could be hired. Now, she's obviously at a different life stage than you and I are, but I think this is an interesting concept for all ages to think about. Like, at what point do we shift from being the ones that are kind of at the center to uplifting others? Is that something we should always be doing? Does Hmm. you hit a certain age and that's the leading? Like, uh, help me unpack this concept. That's interesting Mm -hmm. because I do get it, and that seems to be, you know— there's a big deal about the older generation raising up and building it. Like, yeah, kind of like totally. passing the baton. Yeah. But let me play just a small devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. That's always a bad phrase we shouldn't use anymore. But let me uh, yeah. let me play a little devil's advocate. The Bible talks a lot about it being the elders who are to be esteemed. Interesting. And the elders who are to be doing the te- – now, you could be saying, well, they're teaching the younger gen. Yeah. But there is – there's some middle ground here because there is something about our mm. culture and our church as well – that probably esteems youth too much. Too much, yeah. And so I totally, I'm not saying this about her. I'm yeah. saying, yes, as you get older, one mm-hmm. like, wonderful thing speakers and pastors and author, whatever mm-hmm. can do, at business uh, men and women, whatever, is to yeah. build into the next generation so that there's a continuity. Yeah. But I would be careful about how quickly to turn that platform Interesting. over until they're ready. So, you know. You know, because Paul we build- need wisdom. We need seasoned yes. voices. We need. Go ahead. So Paul builds into Timothy. We mm-hmm. see that. There's all of this. But there is something to be said that we discard um, wisdom, aged wisdom in our culture, probably a little Interesting. too except in the people we elect. <laughs> we seem to wow. run to youth everywhere, and then except we, for our and then politicians, we just elect old our president. People. Yeah, that's so true. Our Isn't current president, our last president—the yeah. like age of these people is great. But that's a that's a whole that's a different deal. conversation. But think about it in churches; it's constantly let's get the 
you know, the 30-year-old up there. And I'm okay with that. I get why that's the case. And older pastors should be should be passing wisdom down and, yeah. and platforming them. But I, I worry that we do it too quickly. Yeah, here, here's something that she says. She says blessing. She's talking about blessing younger ones might mean noticing our own internal jealousy of the favor the young attract and moving into the self-work that helps us understand that their rising gifts do not diminish our legacy. Then she says, perhaps most expensive for those who are used to the platform of leadership is the blessing that comes from moving out of the spotlight in order to make space for another to shine, to invite younger voices to the microphone, to resign our position, as I said before, so another can be hired to turn over holiday traditions to the next generation, to mm. clap and cheer and resist the urge to criticize, much less share criticism, when the youth around us courageously and sometimes idealistically step forward. The thing that I think is interesting about this, Brian, is I actually feel like this is a call for every Christian. Agreed. Like, I don't know that this is simply you hit an age and therefore you step out of the spotlight. Like, I think the goal for us as Christians is always to let others shine, always to be sort of eschewing the spotlight so that other people can be raised up. But I do think there is a there's also a conviction here because I, I know sometimes Kevin and I will be around young people and sometimes we like we will very Gen X of us <laughs> sort of roll our eyes oh, at their idealism totally. and we're like, they haven't lived. They don't know. And then we kind of will end up being like, man, why are we so dark? Like, what's wrong with us? What and did so, I do? so I think there is like I would I would agree with you on a lot of this. Like one, I do think that we need the old gen- older generation to keep running their race and not to step away from the spotlight because, mm-hmm. like, we need the wisdom you've accrued. Two, I think this is a call to, like, bless the next generation. Every generation needs to do this, not just the older generation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then... um and then three, I think like we still need to check in our own spirits when we are getting cynical or jealous and yes. and we need to learn from the youth. So I guess this kind of almost goes back to like, we need the family of God. Yes, so we need, need all ages. The same way as a parent, my job is to um, make sure my kids are prepared for adulthood. Yeah. Right. Like make sure that they're ready to leave the nest. Mm-hmm. And that's done in many different ways over a lot of time and, you know, ups and downs. Yeah. But there does come a point where you want them to fly. Mm -hmm. But the point is that you don't want that to be too early. Yeah. We all know those parents are like, my 14 year old can stay up as late as they want. No. Do that. Yeah. Really? Right. Really? There's there are steps along the way. And sometimes I think we skip steps in the mm. church. So there needs to be this growth. I'm not saying older people need to hold on to the pulpit. Right. They do need to let go. Yeah. But let's also here's what I would say. Let's not worship youth. Mm, let's make sure good. they're being built into and growing yeah. and, and have proven themselves it's when it's time to fly. Yeah, that's that's a good word for all of us. We are what they grow beyond. That is the true burden of all masters. All right, Brian, it's the end of the show. And at the end of every show, we like to bring you something challenging, inspiring, mm-hmm. encouraging, something to put a smile on your face. And uh, this was an interesting conversation. Four questions to gauge your spiritual health over at Church Leaders. And um, I I almost don't even want to read these. I want to know what questions you ask to gauge your spiritual health before mm. we dive into this. Or like, what would you, if you're preaching a sermon on this, what would you say? That's I know I'm really thrilled. I'm, I'm just putting you, you on the so spot here. spiritual health. I think there are some very. I would want to know. Am I reading my Bible? I praying? was thinking that too. That would be one that came to mind for me. I would want to know. Am I in any way 
caring enough to share my faith uh, with people. Mm, that's good. So like we talked about yesterday, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm on the street corner yeah. or whatever. Uh, am I doing that? This one's harder, but I would say, am I, um, do I actually, like, do I care about people? Like, has my heart grown cold towards, wow. like, towards people? Oh, that's good. The plate of people. And then if we're being honest. I kind of wish you wouldn't have said that one, but that's yeah, a good one. Yeah, you and I off air were just talking about our own cynicism. Yeah, so. sometimes it's hard to love people. So this one's a hard one. But honestly, if we're very, if we're being honest about the Bible, mm-hmm. one of the questions has to be, what's the level of my generosity? Yep, you're exactly right about that. That's huge. Like, am, am I, I am I hoarding or am I giving? Christians I? in the Bible are there's uh, yeah. yes there's lack mm-hmm. of generosity and growing faith are antithetical to each other in the Bible. Yep, that's exactly and right. That hasn't changed, and that one becomes difficult. I don't like I don't like talking about that one because then you're convicted and you have to do something about it, correct, right? Yeah. Correct. Oh, yeah. Okay. Those are wow. Those are good. You're a good pastor, Brian. Ouch. I feel like you just convicted me in there four ways. I wish what I would have asked you. What that. did I miss? So the the Bible came to mind right away for me, too. Um, generosity came to mind right away for me, too, partly because we talk about at our church, we talk about four G's, gospel, growth, good neighboring and generosity. So and, and I'll be honest, like generosity, when you're at our age making pastor money and you've got three kids, generosity is yeah. one of those things that I'm like, OK, Lord, I'm trusting you're going to bless this because I'm being obedient to you. But I'm not necessarily <laughs> a joyful giver. You know what I mean? Like it, that is a struggle. Um I, and I I wouldn't have said this until you said it. And now I'm like, oh, yeah, this is good. Is uh, your heart grown cold? I also think there's a sense of like, are you isolating yourself or are you in Christian community? I think that's good. You know, because yep, it yep, can yep. be very easy. I think it can be really easy in leadership, too, to sort of hide yourself in your home and not actually authentically engage with people for whatever yeah. reason. So I would say that's probably another one as well. Yep. Okay, well, here's what they say over at churchleaders.com. Four questions you can um you can ask to gauge yourself if you are becoming, this says, uh, here are four questions we can ask ourselves to gauge if we are on the road of becoming secure in the things of Jesus and not Jesus himself. It's important to be honest with yourself when asking these questions. One, what do your prayers sound like? Mm. This uh, author says that she recently heard a message on prayer where the pastor asked if prayers were gospel centered. Of course, my initial thought was, yes, she said. But as the pastor began to describe the difference between self-centered and gospel-centered, I realized that my prayers are self-centered. So that's kind of interesting. Gospel-centered prayers. Yeah, that's a hard one because a lot of times it's just the question is, am I praying? That's what I was kind of thinking. It's almost like, let's step back and be like, am I praying to God? And almost like, don't worry about what you're praying just as long as you're talking to God. So I almost feel like that's like... And there is some truth to that. Yeah. Like kind of walk before you run, right? Like uh-huh. it's the evangelism, right? Some other people's bad evangelism is better than my yeah, non-evangelism. Yeah. So uh, I do think you you could go too far with this and be like, well, I'm not praying the right prayer, so I'm not even going to pray yeah. at all. Just pray. Just and, pray. Talk then, to God about whatever. And then improve your prayers. That's yeah, fine. yeah, that's good. I like that. All right, here's the second one. What current sin are you struggling with? Part of the sanctification process is Jesus working in our lives and hearts to make us more like him. He was sinless and blameless. The more we walk with Jesus, the more we see the work of sanctification in us. Our goal is that those sins that we once struggled with no longer tempt us in the slightest. This is a gift from Jesus. He has the power to transform the very core of who we are. What are your thoughts about that? I, I think the, the word current there is really uh, intentional, right? Like mm. it's acknowledging where am I right now mm. and what's it look like to struggle with it? Mm. Like if you don't struggle with your sin. yeah. Like, yeah. I, I think a lot of times in Christianity, we assume that word struggle when in reality, 
You might be fine sinning. I'm good. I'm good with this. I'm, I'm good. Whatever. Yeah. So what? Am I even struggling with my sin? Yeah. Right now? I think it's a great question. Yeah. Ooh, that's good. That is a convicting one. All right. Three. Are people more familiar with what your faith is against or what you're for? I feel like we kind of hear this line quite a bit these days, especially in this day and age. And that one's hard because yeah. sometimes you can't control what other people assume. Right. Oh, right. you're a Christian. You must be this, this, and right. this. Oh, really? But Right. But okay, you can think that about me. Yeah, that's true. And I, I also don't know. Yeah, I, I think this one is hard because this also assumes you're talking constantly with people about what you're for right. or what you're against. That's so right. this assumes some level of, of community. All right, here's another one. Uh, what has God done in your life recently? Hmm. Oftentimes this question is answered with the story about how God saved your life, which is a great answer, but it's not the only answer. The moment you put your faith in Jesus is not the sum total of everything Jesus has done or will do in your life. So basically, this question is getting at, like, what do you see God doing in your life now? And that increases your faith, I guess. I think this is a good one because it helps you open your eyes to see what God is doing. And I think if you can recognize God's hand at work in different seasons, you you can go, okay, I am growing. God is doing yep. something. This feels more about the the goodness of God than it does necessarily about, like, my health. But it, but it is healthy to be able to have perspective and see God's hand in your life. Absolutely. What do you think about this I one? I think that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, the the hard part with questions like these are that, A, it, some of these are somewhat subjective, right? I agree, yeah. But the other hard thing is sometimes when you ask questions, the the way a lot of us react is just in guilt. Like, oh, I'm failing at that. Totally. Devil. God's doing something at your life. I think this can be a positive thing. Yeah. What has he done recently? Mm-hmm. This is an opportunity to acknowledge that God is at work mm-hmm. in your life and these are good barometers. They're not they're not end alls. It's not a final exam. Totally. They're good barometers for just am I apathetic? Am I Yeah. And I think we need to be asking those questions all the time. Yeah, it is interesting you say that because even as we were reading things, I was like, Oh, I kinda feel I kinda feel yucky reading some of these. And I don't think that's the end goal. Like I think you're right. The end goal is the end goal is like God is gracious, God is for you, God loves you, wants to see your spiritual health. So you don't need to gauge, am I good or bad at these? But like, am I growing in some of these areas? And it might be some other areas as well. Like you said, this is not the end all be all. So anyway, there are certainly ways to gauge your spiritual health. And I think that would be the point. Yes. Are you growing spiritually? Are you healthy spiritually? And are you taking the time to gauge it so that you know where you need to grow? Agreed. Agreed. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.